For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Well, there are no comments today, and uh, that's okay. I don't want to upset people, uh, but it, it'd be uh, it'd be nice if uh, if uh, you really enjoyed today's program that you could remember to send in a comment. And again, uh, uh, I just think it'd be good for you to just join in with the conversation. Now, on our last program, I discussed how the Duke of Cornwall, Reagan, and Goneril worked together to keep Lear out of Gloucester's estate by forcing him to face a ferocious storm. Now, I finished the podcast with Act 3, line 78, and so I added some few extra details, and I think that was good for you. Now, for today's program, what I want to do is I want to discuss how Gloucester's evil son, Edmund, betrays his father, and actually that all leads to forcing him also into the same storm. And so so I think it's going to be an interesting program. Now, just maybe in terms of summary, let's just re- re- maybe review a little bit just of what we covered last time. So uh, remember last time we were at Gloucester's castle, castle. Excuse me. Lear is angered that his messenger has been locked in the stocks. And there's a lot of humor in that section as well. Lear is further angered that Reagan and Cornwall refuse to see him. They, he wants to see them. And then, uh, much to his uh, distaste, Goneril unexpectedly arrives at Gloucester's castle. And so, so uh, it, it, uh, it, the way Shakespeare writes it, it just shows that Lear was just absolutely, you know, uh, surprised and shocked that Goneril shows up. Because remember, she's the one that kicked him out. And he's, she's the one 
that that sent the letters to Regan saying he's coming your way, so you know don't be home when he gets there. So anyway, in that whole section, Lear quarrels bitterly with her and with Regan, and they claim that he needs no attendance of his own. So that was the big bomb. Is they say, look, you don't need any attendance. Let us take. Let us. If you're going to live with us, just use our attendance. We don't want any knights around. So essentially, what happens in, then is Lear leads in a huff, and uh, uh, there's a storm coming, and uh, Gloucester gets all upset about it, and uh, uh, you know they they really go after Gloucester and say, just lock your doors, don't let him back. You know, of course, of course, Gloucester goes out to help him and find him. Well, Kent does find the fool and Lear, and he makes sure that the king gets shelter. So, so that's uh, that's part of what's going on now. One thing I think is really interesting, and, and honestly, I just noticed it today as I was preparing for for today. There is also something really special there, and uh, it's it's right at the uh, let's say right after line seventy eight. The fool speaks a prophecy of the future of Albion. Now, Albion is the ancient name for England. And so I'm going to turn to page 70 right now, and we're going to read lines 80 through 85. And the reason I'm doing this is is uh, I just want to show you out there how current this play, King Lear, is to to all of the political and the 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 uh, the lying and the craziness that's going on not only in America but it's it's other societies as well. But England is is struggling with these things. Other nations are struggling, and it's just it's just amazing that Shakespeare pulled all this together and it really still applies to today. So so this is the full now. This again uh, in the last program we ended at line seventy eight. And uh, uh, now on line 80, this is the fool. Now, I think if you remember back to previous programs, uh, the way Shakespeare wrote this play is the fool disappears and he never reappears again. And so so essentially what happens is this is the last lines we have of the fool and he's giving a prophecy. And he says, he says this is line 80, this is page 70. So if you if you have your Pelican Shakespeare, then uh, you can read along later, even if you don't have it right there with you now as you're listening. The fool says, This is a brave knight to cool a courtesan. I'll speak a prophecy ere I go. And so so essentially what the fool is saying is, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I, I'm going to go. And here's what he says. He says, When priests are more in word than matter, and so so there's something wrong with the priest, you know, they say they're going to do something, and then they don't. You know, they preach about, you know, uh, religion, and then they're uh, on their own. They're not very religious. He said, when brewers mar their malt with water, <laughs> so he's talking about businessmen. You know, when they don't even keep, you know, it's like if they're making beer, uh, you know, they're they're flooding it with water, so it's really weak beer. It's not good beer. He said, when nobles are their tailors' tutors, and so he's he's talking about hey there's even problems with the with the the, uh, the nobles, and th- they even think they know better than than uh, uh, you know tailors. And he goes no heretics burn but but wenches suitors. So so there's some heretics, but they're not burned. And and they said but then there's the wenches are suitors. You know so so they're spending a lot of time with wenches and not worrying about the heretics. 
He says, when every case in law is right, no squire in debt, nor no poor knight. He said, when slanders do not live in tongues, nor cut purses come not to throngs. When users tell their gold in the field, and bods and whores do churches build. <laughs> so, so there he's saying, what, you know, it's the crazy thing is, where's the priests? Well, you got, you got bods and whores, they're building the churches. And he said, then shall the realm of Albion come to great confusion. Then comes the time who lives to see it, that going shall be used with feet. And again, what he's really addressing there is that, uh, you know, the time of Albion was really the time of Arthur. And now listen to what he says. The prophecy Merlin shall make, for I live before his time. And so, so in other words, what what the fool is saying, I'm giving you the prophecy now based on what I see happening in England, what he sees happening with Cornwall, what he sees happening, you know, uh, with uh, uh, all the other, the, the, the knights, and what's, what's really happening with Lear, what's happening with Gloucester. You know, the government is breaking down, is what he says. And then he says, now Merlin, when actually at the time of King Arthur, Merlin is going to see the same thing and he's going to give the same prophecy. And so, essentially, I think what that shows is that that uh, Shakespeare is playing with our heads a little bit, and he's playing with time. But anyway, there's, you know, it, it really, I thought, when I was reading it this morning, I thought, I didn't even notice this before. And so, but but here, everybody in, you know, in the United States and Britain and all that, you know, there have been people that have prophesied what's happening in today, and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's just something that I think really, really struck me. Okay. So now we're going to go, uh, we're going to stay on page 71. And now we're going to begin to see, I promised you that we talk about what happens to Gloucester and essentially what Edmund does to him. And, uh, uh, so here we come in the scene and, and in some ways Gloucester is very innocent. But Gloucester says to him, he says, Alack, alack, Edmund, I like not this unnatural dealing. And so essentially, um, he's going to tell us more that we didn't learn in the previous act. But he's going to tell us more of what happened that night when, when King Lear got put out of the house. He says, I like not this unnatural dealing. When I desired their leave that I might pity him, now he's talking about Cornwall, Cornwall, Reagan, and Goneril. He's talking about that. That's what he's saying. He's, I didn't like their unnatural dealing. And and if you even go back, even uh, uh, I think even Lear woke up to the fact his daughters were unnatural hags. That's what he calls them. And you know they they had no love for him. And it, even when we get into the Book of Timothy. It just said that today there, there'd be, uh, it, it's not going to be natural. There, people will not be loving each other. Families will not be staying together. He says, when I desired their leave that I might pity him, he's talking about Lear, they took me from the use of my own house, charged me on pain of perpetual displeasure neither to speak of him and treat for him or in any way sustain him. So we didn't see that in that act. But he's telling us what really went on. And so, so this is just the genius of Shakespeare. And then notice Edmund, who is an absolute freak. <laughs> He's fake. That's what we have to see him as. And uh, we're beginning to realize that uh, we had a president that was a fake. And he, he was an Antiochus. He made up 
uh, himself what he looked like, and Edmund has done the same thing. And Edmund says, oh, most savage and unnatural. And so he's really playing his father here. And then Gloucester says, go to, say you nothing. And, and so now what Gloucester is going to reveal what he knows about the, the coming civil war between the dukes. And he's going to reveal to him that he knows that actually Cordelia and the king of France are coming to rescue England. And, and uh, he's revealing this to Edmund. He says, go to, say you nothing. There is the division between the dukes. And a worse matter than that, I have received a letter this night. Tis dangerous to be spoken. I have locked the letter in my closet. These injuries the king now bears will be revenged home. And so he's saying, look, this is the king is not going to be uh, left out there. He's going to be helped. And there's something coming from from uh, uh, France. And he says, um, these injuries the king now bears will be revenged home. There is a part of a power already footed. We must incline to the king. And so, so Gloucester is saying to Edmund, look, we've got to really incline to the king. We've got to help take care of the king. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. He says, I will look him and privily relieve him. Go you and maintain talk with the duke that my charity be not of him perceived. If he asks for me, I am ill and gone to bed. If I die for it, no less is threatened me. The king, my old master, must be relieved. There is strange things toward Edmund. Pray you be careful. That was an absolutely massive mistake on Gloucester's part. He gave him all the information that Edmund needs. And remember, Edmund wants the estate. He wants the wealth. And, uh, you know, he's, this is just laying a plan for him. And so, so, uh, he's saying, look, uh, if I die for it, no less threaten me. The king, my old master, must be relieved. And so, so here he is. Uh, Gloucester is really blind to what Edmund's really like. And so, so that's really interesting. Now, we're going to go over to page 72 and listen to how Edmund you know, he's actually, uh, this is like a mini soliloquy, but he's talking to the audience. And this is the way Shakespeare works. And I've been to the, um, the theater in, uh, Stratford and, uh, the, the, uh, the theater is so open that, that you feel like you could talk to the actors as they come close to you. <laughs> and I saw Hamlet there and, uh, you know, Hamlet is speaking to the audience and a couple of people answered them back, which I thought was really interesting. But Edmund says, This courtesy forbid thee shall the duke instantly know, and above that letter too. So Edmund is saying, Okay, Dad, I'll take care of it. And then Gloucester walks off the scene, and Edmund said, Dad, you're so stupid. I'm going to go tell the duke right away that you've got this letter. He said, This seems a fair deserving and must draw me that which my father loses, no less than all the younger rises when the old doth fall. So, so Edmund is using all this to get the estate. He's saying, okay, you know, I'm taking over. And so, so, you know, obviously, if you really understand or you study about Goneril and Regan, they are unnatural hags. And, and here you have Edmund. Uh, he's a bastard son, but he's an unnatural bastard son. <laughs> he's not, he doesn't love, he doesn't love Gloucester. He wants the money though. I think that's that's very very interesting there, and so so uh, Edmund is just a liar, and uh, and then he he turns him in. 
Um, but it, it was a, just a critical mistake what he did, just incredibly critical. Let's go on now to, uh, well, maybe I should say this. Uh, if you go back to Act 3, Scene 1, and you go to page 70, uh, let's see, uh, line 17 to 42, it's pages 65, 66. I'll let you read that on your own time, and that is how Kent revealed all of this as well. So, so you might want to go back to that and read that so you can really make the connection. So, so now what I want to do is I'm going to skip ahead. Um, I'm going to skip chapter, not chapter four, scene four, because I want to come back and I want to do a special, uh, not a special podcast, just another podcast on how the, the Gloucester and Kent and even the full help take care of the king. And so, so what I want to do now is I want to, to uh, slip ahead to to Act Three, Scene Five, and essentially we're focusing on how Edmund really, really does not love his father at all. And essentially, uh, before we get through the program today, you're going to see that that actually Gloucester it, it, something very horrible happens to him, and he's out in the storm as well. So this is page eighty, by the way, and it's it's Act Three, Scene Five, and it's enter it's cornwall and edmund and uh this re- this reveals a lot but even cornwall is somewhat blind because he doesn't know that edmund is having an affair with his wife and so so you can see this is just evil you know put upon evil so cornwall opens this is page 80 we're going to go down to to scene five cornwall opens he says i will have my revenge ere i depart his house how, my lord, I may be censured that nature thus gives way to loyalty, something fears me to think of it. So, so essentially, he has revealed things to Cornwall, and Cornwall now wants to take revenge on Gloucester. And, and then Cornwall says, I now perceive it was not altogether your brother's evil disposition made him seek his death, but a provoking merit set a work by a response, reprovable ball, uh, badness in himself. So Cornwall actually believes Edmund that the brother was going to kill his dad. So, so here Edmund's even, even, uh, swindling Cornwall. And then of course Cornwall is just as evil anyway. And so then Edmund says, how malicious is my fortune that I must repent to be just. I mean, this guy is just saying, oh, I'm such a saint. You know, I, I have to repent to be just. He said, this is the letter which he spoke of, which approves him of an intelligent party to the advantages of France. Oh, heavens, that this treason were not or not I, the detector. He's saying, oh, Cornwall, I'm just so brokenhearted that my dad is, is involved with this, this treachery, this treason. And uh, he's, you know, it's like, how fake can you get? So, so Shakespeare's really onto something here about, well, we could even say some politicians even today. Cornwall says, go with me to the Duchess. Edmund, if the matter of this paper be certain, you have mighty business in hand. And so Edmund is still playing the game. He's saying, well, if this paper is certain, you know, uh, then you have something really busy to, to handle. And Cornwall says, true or false, it hath made you Earl of Gloucester. And so, so Cornwall says, yeah, I want to thank you for all this. Thank you for giving me all this information. And guess what? You're now the Earl of Gloucester. And so, so here, uh, you know, he's now stepping up. And this is what, this is what Edmund wants. And, uh, um, he goes on to say, 
Let's see. Uh, he said, seek out where thy father is, that he may be ready for our apprehension. And so, so in other words, they've got some really, really disgusting things planned for Gloucester. And then Edmund here, he says aside, if I find him comforting the king, and it will stuff his suspicion more fully, I will, pres- I, I will preserve her in my course of loyalty, though the conflict be sore between that and my blood. And so, so Edmund, this is, he's, he's speaking away from Cornwall. He says, wow. You know, if I find him comforting the king, it's going to stuff his suspicion more fully. So, in other words, it's going to help Cornwall have more suspicion. And Cornwall then says, and, and again, they're separated at this point. He says, I will lay my trust on thee, and thou shalt find a dearer father in my love. All right, that makes me want to vomit. <laughs> so, so he's saying, look, don't worry about your father. We're going to take care of it. Um, he said, but, but, you know, just trust me. You're going to find a better father in me. And this is Cornwall, probably the most evil character, second to to Edmund. All right, and so so uh, that's. I, I just want you to to, to see that. Um, I, again, we're going to cover Act Three, Scene Four in the next podcast. All right. So so um, the, the the thing I want to do now is um, let me see in my notes. Let's skip ahead now to to. Uh, uh, Let's see, we're going to be in scene seven. So act three, scene seven. And um, this is probably one of the most horrendous scenes that you would ever see in a Shakespeare play. And, uh, and actually, um, uh, it, it's, it's a violent scene. And uh, from the years 1810 to 1820, King Lear was banned from the stage in England because King George III suffered bouts of insanity like Lear and so so they they really um, uh, banished the play for a while and uh, it does it does this this scene act three scene seven this is where we're what I've been really heading toward it's it really shows the cruelty of Cornwall Regan and Goneril and uh, um, we're going to see some other things here okay so so uh, this is act three scene seven is page 86 so we have Cornwall enter, Regan, Goneril, and then Edmund. And it's interesting that the, the, in the play they call him the bastard, the bastard Edmund and servants. And Cornwall, then, this is line one, page 86, Acts 3, scene 7, page 86. Cornwall says to Goneril, Post be thee unto my lord, your husband. Show him this letter. It says the army of France is landed. Seek out the traitor, Gloucester. And so, so essentially, uh, Cornwall says, get Albany involved. Uh, let's find Gloucester. Uh, we've got to take care of this. The army of France is actually landed. And so, so here, the two guys that were going to be at war with each other, now they know they're in trouble because France is coming to stop it all. So Regan says, hang him instantly. <laughs> and so, so this, this is what they're saying, you know, to, to, about Gloucester. He's a traitor. And Regan says, hang him instantly. And then Goneril says, pluck out his eyes. And so, so these are the loving daughters. I mean, just can you believe it? And Cornwall says, leave him to my displeasure. Edmund, keep you our sister company. The revenges we are bound to take upon your traitorous father are not fit for your beholding. And so he said, look, we don't want you to see what we're really going to do to your dad. He said, advise the duke when you are going 
to make a festinate preparation. We are bound to the like. Our post shall be swift and intelligent betwixt us. Farewell, dear sister. Farewell, my lord of Gloucester. And then uh, enters Stuart then, you know, Oswald. How now? Where's the king? And uh, the, the Oswald says, My lord of Gloucester hath conveyed him hence, some five or six and thirty of his knights, hot questress after him, met him at a gate, who with some other of the lord's dependents are gone with him towards Dover, where they boast to have well-armed friends. And, and actually, Dover is where the French have landed, and Cordelia is already on the continent. Cornwall says, Get horses for your mistress, and then Oswald exits. Goneril says, Farewell, sweet lord and sister. Cornwall says, Edmund, farewell. And then uh, um, he, he said, Go seek that traitor Gloucester. Pinion him like a thief. Bring him here before us. That well we may not pass upon his life without the form of justice, yet our power shall do a courtesy to our wrath, which men may blame but not control. And so, so essentially, they're saying, we're going to do some bad things to him. We're not going to kill him, but we're going to make his life miserable. So, so, uh, here then enter Gloucester and his servants. And who's there? The traitor. And so, so this is, this is what they're, they're looking at him. And this is what Cornwall's saying. Wow. Who's there? The traitor. And Regan says, in grateful fox, tis he. Cornwall then says, bind fast his quirky arms. And then Gloucester says, what means your graces? Good, my friends, consider you are my guest. Do me no foul play, friends. Cornwall says, bind him, I say. So the servants bind him. And Regan says, hard, hard, O filthy traitor. Uh, Gloucester says, unmerciful lady as you are, I am none. Cornwall says, to this chair, bind him. Villain, thou shalt find. So, so essentially what Regan then walks up and plucks Gloucester's beard. Now, that, at that part of time, that would have been considered a great, great injustice to do that. And Gloucester says, by the kind gods, tis most ignobly done to pluck me, pluck me by the beard. And Regan says, so white and such a traitor. Then Gloucester says, naughty lady, these hairs which thou dost ravish from my chin will quicken and accuse you. I am your host. With robber's hands, my hospitable favors, you should not ruffle thus. What will you do? Cornwall says, come, sir, what letters have you laid from France? And then all of a sudden, the jig's up. They know. Reagan says, be simple answered, for we know the truth. And Cornwall says, and what confederacy have you with the traitors late-footed in the kingdom? Reagan says, to whose hands you have sent the lunatic king? Speak. And the Gloucester then, he's just absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> he just can't believe this is happening. He says, I have a letter guessingly set down, which came from one of that's a neutral heart and not from one opposed. Cornwall says, cunning, Reagan, and false. Cornwall, well, where hast thou sent the king? Gloucester to Dover. Regan, wherefore to Dover? What wast thou not charged at peril? And uh, Cornwall says, Wherefore to Dover? Let him answer that. And Gloucester says, I am tied to the stake, and I must stand the course. So he's not saying why he went to Dover. He said, Wherefore to Dover? This is Regan says that. Gloucester says, Because I would not see thy cruel nails pluck out his poor old eyes, 
nor the fierce sister in his anointed flesh stick boorish fangs. The sea would such a storm at his bare head. In hell-black night endured would have buoyed up and quenched the stale fires. Yet poor old heart, he hoped the heavens to rain. If wolves had it, had at the gate howled that stern time, thou should have said, Good porter, turn the key. All cruels else subscribe, but I shall see the winged vengeance overtake such children. So Gloucester says, Yeah, I've tried to rescue him from you guys. You know. Cornwall says, See it, thou shalt never. Fellows, hold the chair. Hold upon the eyes of thine. I'll set my foot. So here's what's really gross, what's going to happen. Gloucester says, He that thinks to live till he be old, give me some help, O cruel, O you gods. And then Cornwall puts out Gloucester's eye, plucks his eye right out of his socket. And then Regan says, One side will mock another, the other two. This is, this is Cornwall's wife saying, Well, you got one eye, get the other one now. And it says, Cornwall says, If you see vengeance, First servant says, Hold your hand, my lord. I have served you ever since I was a child, but better service have I never done you than now to bid you hold. And then Regan says, How now, you dog? And essentially what happens now, If the servant says, If you did wear a beard upon your chin, I'd shake it on this quarrel. What do you mean? Cornwall says, My villain. So, so the, the servant is now standing up for Gloucester. And what Cornwall does, he says the servant's a villain. He draws his sword to fight, and the servant says, Nay, then come on and take the chance of anger. And uh, Reagan says, Give me thy sword. A, a peasant stand up thus. So she takes the sword and runs at him behind, and essentially she kills the servant. Oh, I am slain, my lord, and you have one eye left to see some mischief on him. And Cornwall says, Let me see more, prevent it. O Val Jolly. And then he puts out the other eye. He says, where is thy luster? And he says, all dark and comfortless. Where is my son Edmund? Edmund, enkindle all the sparks of nature to quit this horrid act. Then Reagan says, out treacherous villain, thou callest on him that hates thee. It was he that made the overture of thy treason to us, who is too good to pity thee. So Reagan now reveals, Edmund betrayed you. And so, so you can imagine what that would, would do to any father. And of course, uh, the, the actor that plays Gloucester in the, in the play, he's really good at it. He says, Oh, my follies, that Edgar was abused. Kind gods, forgive me that and prosper him. And so, so this is a real awakening for Gloucester is that, that he fell for what Edmund said. And it's his, his true son is the one that's banished. And, uh, you know, he said he's asking the gods to forgive him. And Reagan says, go thrust him at, out at gates and let him smell his way to Dover. And then uh, they, they, in other words, they're getting rid of Gloucester now. How is it, my lord? How look you? He can't see anything. And and uh, in the fight, now now it's going to come down to it. He says, I have received a hurt. Follow me, lady. Turn out the eyeless villain. Throw this slave upon the dunghill. Regan, I bleed apace. When Tommy comes as heard, give me your arm. So obviously the servant had got, uh, you know, he also stabbed Cornwall and he's now dying. So, so the servant died, but then now Cornwall's also dying. 
Then a second servant comes in and he says, I'll never care what wickedness I do if this man come to good. The third servant, if she live long and in the end meet the old course of death, women will all turn monsters. Another servant says, let's follow the old earl and get the bedlam to lead him where he would. His roguishness, madness, allows itself to anything. The third servant says, go go thou, I'll fetch some flax and whites of eggs to apply to his bleeding face. Now, heaven, help him. So, so Gloucester is now out in the storm, and he's out in the storm because his bastard son betrayed him. And so, so can you imagine, um, you know, how, how any man would feel that, uh, you know, he, he did not believe the good son, fell for what the bad son had to say, and, and now it's, it's a problem. So, so anyway, <clears throat> that's, that's, what I've been wanting to, to do these two podcasts for. So, so, uh, you know, Regan and Goneril, uh, you know, they got rid of Lear and now, uh, together with Edmund, they've, they've now put Gloucester out as well. But there is hope. There is really hope for Gloucester. And, and I now want to slip into, to act four, scene one. And, uh, again, uh, you know, Shakespeare is getting ready to give us almost a good ending uh it's really not ever going to be a good ending but guess who in act 4c1 guess who he runs into edgar so edgar's out there of course he's he's uh now uh tom uh, he's he's uh he's a beggar he looks like a beggar and then edgar the very first line this is the bottom of page 91 it's a uh, act 4 scene 1 it's uh, Edgar says, yet, yet better thus and known to be commended than still contemned and flattered to be worst, the lowest and most dejected thing of fortune stands still in esperance, lives not in fear. So, so Edgar's living, you know, as a, as a, uh, uh, I, as I called it last time, he's, he's like one of the street people in Seattle or one of the, the street people in Portland. And I did see a, uh, a news broadcast about Portland last night and it is just terrible what these people are doing and uh they're they're really all hopped up on drugs and uh they're actually dying and it's it's uh you know the the uh, part of the city of portland you know a lot of people are leaving it and it's just it's just a, a tragedy he says uh and and again uh if you if you ever see this play performed they do have a lot of, let's say, homeless people in part of the, some of the scenes, so you can see, you know, how bad it was even, uh, then, and, uh, where, where, because of the government was breaking down, then a lot of people were getting, you know, just impoverished. This goes on to say, says, the lamentable, the lamentable change is from the best, the worst returns to laughter. Welcome then, thou unsubstantial heir that I embrace. The wretched that thou hast blown into the worst owes nothing to the blast. And so, so essentially, Edgar is, is actually protected by being a beggar. And, and he's, he's actually relieved that he's not in the trouble. And I don't think he knows everything. But then you have Gloucester enters the scene. And remember now, he's completely blind. He has a servant that has been loyal enough to him that didn't get killed in any of the fight. 
and he's leading him. And and there's Edgar, he's looking, and he says, oh, but who comes here? He says, my father, poorly led, world, world, oh, world, but that thy strange mutations make us hate thee. Life would not yield to age. And the old man says, oh, my good Lord, I have been your tenant and your father's tenant these fourscore years. And then Gloucester says, Away, get thee away, good friend, be gone. Thy comforts can do me no good at all. They, thee, they may hurt. And the old man says, You cannot serve your way. You, you can't, you can't see your way. And the Gloucester says, I have no way, and therefore want no eyes. I stumbled when I saw. Now, that is a great admission. And, and he's really now, he's mourning over the fact that he didn't see the truth about Edmund, and he certainly believed the lies about Edgar. And and that's a great line. That's, that's, a, that's a line of repentance. He says, I stumbled when I saw, full oft is seen, our means secure us, and our mere defects prove our commodities. Oh, dear son Edgar, the food of thy abused father's wrath, might I live to see thee in my touch. I'd say I had eyes again. And the old man says, How now? Who's there? And it's Edgar. He says, O gods, who is it can say, I am at the worst? I am worse than I ever was. And so now, before he was saying, he was feeling protected, but now that he sees his father, he says, What could be more worse? This is the worst. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really is, um, you know, for, I think for a lot of people, they've never seen such worse times as they've seen today. And then for them, it is the worst. For some, it's definitely the worst. The old man says, "'Tis poor mad Tom." And so, so, uh, he's done a pretty good job of, of hiding himself. Uh, let's say Edgar has. And even this old man who was a servant at the house said, Oh, this is, "'Tis poor mad Tom." And then Edgar aside says, and worse I may be yet, the worst is not, is not so long as we can say, this is the worst. Now the old man says, fellow, where goest? And Gloucester, it is a beggar man. Old man says, madman and beggar too. Gloucester says, he has some reason, else he could not beg. I, the last night storm, I such a fellow saw, which made me think a man a worm. My son came into my mind, and yet my mind was then scarce friends with him. I have heard none since. And so so the the thing is, it's really interesting that, that Gloucester had seen, uh, I guess had seen Edgar, and he looked at him and thought he might be his son. But he didn't, he didn't put it all the connection together. And he says, As flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. And so, so that's definitely uh, pagan philosophy. And uh, we know that God does not uh, kill us for his sport. You know, and, and we have a God in heaven that loves all of humanity. In fact, he loves humanity so much, he sacrificed his only begotten son so that we could all live happily with him in the, in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so Gloucester said, is the naked, is that the naked fellow? And he goes, Ah, my lord. He said, Then prithee, get thee gone. I, for my sake, thou wilt overtake us hence a mile or twain. Uh, either way toward Dover, 
Do it for ancient love and bring some covering for this naked soul, which I'll entreat to lead me. And so the old man says, Alack, sir, he is mad. And Gloucester says, Tis the time's plague when madmen lead the blind. <laughs> and so, so he's mad. Well, we all know that Edgar isn't mad. Uh, he's a great actor. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of us are now studying the life of David. And, uh, of course, King David at one time, he had to go to a different country to save his life. And he, pre- he pretended he was mad. <laughs> you know, so, so I guess he had spittle all over his face and everything. And, uh, uh I think the king, um, I, I can't remember exactly which country it was, but I think a Philistine country. And of course, uh, they knew that he killed a lot of Philistines. So if he didn't uh, pretend he was mad, he was going to be killed. But they actually, the Philistines kind of protected him because they, they didn't hate crazy people. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, the, the old man then says to, to Gloucester, I'll bring him the best par, apparel that I can or I have. Come on what will. And Gloucester, Gloucester says, Sir, a naked fellow. And then Edgar is still, he's still playing the, the, the role. Poor Tom's a cold. And he says, I cannot daub it further. And then Gloucester says, Come hither, fellow. And, and then Edgar says, And yet I must. Bless thy sweet eyes, they bleed. And Gloucester says, Knowest thou the way to Dover? And Edgar says, Both style and gate, horseway and footpath. Poor Tom hath been scared out of his good wits. Bless thee, good man, son, from the foul fiend. Five fiends have been in, tor- in poor Tom at once. And so, so essentially what he's saying is, he said he had five devils. And he really didn't, but he's telling him, I had five fiends in, in poor Tom at once, of lust, of obacut, of habedance, prince of dumbness, mahu of stealing, modo of murder, Fibberty Gidget of mopping and mowing, who since possessed chambermaids and waiting women, so bless thee, master. So, 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 uh, obviously Shakespeare had some, some, uh, understanding of demonic possession as well. And so I think it's funny that, that, uh, what he calls them, especially Fibberty Gidget, Fibberty Gidget of mopping and mowing. So he said that they, they're the demons that possess chambermaids <laughs> and women <laughs> and waiting women. So then Gloucester then says, here, take this purse. Thou whom the heaven plagues have humbled to all strokes that I am wretched makes thee the happier. Heavens do so still. Let the superfluous and lust dieted man that slaves your ordinance that will not see because he does not feel. Fill your power quickly, so distribution should undo excess, and each man have enough. Dost thou know Dover? And Edgar says, I, master. He said, there is a cliff whose high and bending head looks fearfully in the confined deep. Bring me but to the very brim of it, and I'll repair the misery thou hast dost bear with something rich about me. From that place I shall do no leading need. And then Edgar says, give me thy arm, poor Tom shall lead thee. And so, so I think it's, it's really, really interesting that, um, uh, here Edgar is now leading him. And of course, what Gloucester wants to do now that he can't see, he wants to go to Dover, not so much to find the king, but he wants to jump off and kill himself. He wants to, the, the white cliffs of Dover, he wants to jump off. All right, so we still have about 15 minutes, and so uh, 
maybe a little bit less than that. So I just want to continue here in, in Act 4, Scene 2, and we'll come back to the, to the, to the daughters, and we'll come back to Edmund, and, uh, and then also Oswald. So here's a group right there. Goneril, Edmund, and Oswald. I mean, you talk about a group of evil people. Uh, they're right there together. So, so this again, Act 4, Scene 2. Uh, now remember, King Lear only has five acts, so we're getting closer, closer to the end. But Goneril says, Welcome, my lord. I marvel our mild husband not met us on the way. So, uh, remember now, Goneril is married to Albany. And she thinks Albany is a lily-livered, kind of a mopey-dopey husband. And uh, I remember now, she's also having an affair with Edmund. And so so he says, yeah, my mild husband, he's just a baby. He's a sissy. Uh, he does not met us on the way. And he said, then uh, she looks to Oswald and says, now where's your master? And Oswald says, madam, within, but never a man so changed. I told him of the army that was landed. He smiled at it. I told him you were coming. His answer was the worse. <laughs> so, so Albany, uh, for being married to her, he, he, uh, he knows that she's an unnatural hag too. And so he says, that's the worse if she's here. He said, of Gloucester's treachery and of the loyal service of his son. When I informed him, then he called me sought. And this is, yeah, you remember Kent. He just had nothing good to say about Oswald. And he said, and told me I had turned the wrong side out. What most he should dislike seems pleasant to him. What like offensive? And then Goneril looks to Edmund. He says, then shall you go no further it is the cowish terror of his spirit that dares not undertake. He'll not feel wrongs, which is which tie him to, to an answer. Our wishes on the way may prove effects. Back, Edmund, to my brother. Hasten his musters and conduct his powers. I must change names at home and give the distaff into my husband's hands. The trusty servant shall pass between us. Ere long you are like to hear... If you dare venture in your own behalf, a mistress's command, wear this, spare speech, and she gives him a favor. So she's planning now for to get together with Edmund. And uh, uh, guess what? Reagan's going to make a plan for that as well. And that's where things really get interesting. He says, decline your head. This kiss, if it durst speak, would stretch thy spirits up into the air. Conceive and fare thee well. And he said, Edmund, yours, Edmund says to her, yours in the ranks of death. And he exits. So then Goneril says, my most dear Gloucester, oh, the difference of man and man. To thee a woman's services are due. My full usurps my body. And Oswald says, madam, here comes my lord. And then enters Albany. And so this is going to get interesting now. It says, Goneril says, I have been worth the whistle. And Albany says, O Goneril, you are not worth the dust which the rude wind blows in your face. <laughs> so, so uh, Goneril may, I mean, Albany may not be such a namby-pamby because he's just telling her, <laughs> you know, the rude wind blows in your face. Uh, anyway, he said, you're like dust. He says, I fear your disposition that nature which contemns its origin cannot be bordered certain in itself. She that herself will sliver and disbranch from her marital 
material sap, perforce must wither and come to deadly use. No more. That text is foolish. Foolish. So she's saying, okay, you got your point across. No more. I'm done. And then Albany says, Wisdom and goodness to the vile seem vile. Filth savor themselves. What have you done? Tigers, not daughters. What have you performed? A father and a gracious aged man whose reverence even the headlock bear would lick. Most barbarous, most degenerate have you matted. Could my good brother suffer you to do it? A man, a prince by him so benefited. If that the heavens do not their visible spirits send quickly down to tame these vile offenses, it will come. Humanity must perforce prey on itself like monsters of the deep. So, so, uh, Albany, he's pretty tough to, looks pretty tough to me. Uh, he's not pulling any punches. <laughs> he's telling her this is the way it goes. So guess what he has to put up with? Uh, Goneril has to answer. She's not going to just let that go. She says, milk-livered man that bearest a cheek for blows, a head for wrongs, who has not in thy brows an eye discerning thy honor from thy suffering, that not knowest fools do those villains pity who are punished ere they have done their mischief. Where's thy drum? France spreads his banners in our noiseless land. With plumed helm thy stage begins to threat. And she says, While thou, a moral fool, still sits and cries, Alack, why does he so? So she's calling him a moral fool. He's, this guy has some, some character. She doesn't. She doesn't have any. Albany says, See thyself, devil. Proper deformity seems not in the fiend, so horrid as a woman. <laughs> so, so they're really going at it here. Goneril says, oh, vain fool. And then Albany then come back, comes back, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Thou change and self-covered thing, for shame be monster not thy feature. Weren't my fitness to let these hands obey my blood. They are apt enough to disclose and rear thy flesh and bones. However thou art a fiend, a woman shaped does shield thee. <laughs> so, so in other words, uh, Albany's basically telling her, you're a demon. You know, you're a fiend. You're a fiend in a woman's body. And Goneril says, marry your manhood, mew. So she's really, she's really going after him. And then enters a messenger and always says, what news? And the messenger says, oh my good Lord, the Duke of Cornwall's dead, slain by his servant, going to put out the other eye of Gloucester's. And Albany says, Gloucester's eyes? A servant that he bred, thrilled with more remorse, oppressed against the act, bending his sword to his great master, who, thereat enraged, flew on him and amongst them felled him dead, but not without that harmful stroke which since has plucked him after. So Albany says, This shows you are above your justicers, that, that these are nether crimes so speedily can verge. But, oh, poor Gloucester, lost he his other eye. Messenger says, Both, my lord, this letter, madam, craves a speedy answer. Tis from your sister. So you have now Regan writing to Goneril. And Goneril aside says, One way I like this well, but being widow and my Gloucester with here, with her, may all the building in my fancy pluck upon my hateful life. 
another way the news is not so tart i'll read and answer and so she she exits the stage she's got a letter from her sister she wants to read it albany says where was his son when they did take his eyes and the messenger says come with my lady hither he is not here no my good lord i met him back again knows he the wickedness i my good lord "'Twas he informed against him, and quit the house on purpose, "'that their punishment might have the freer course. "'Albany then says again, "'Gloucester, I live to thank you for the love thou showed the king, "'and to revenge thine eyes. Come hither, friend, tell me what's more thou knowest.'" And so, so again, um, uh, there Albany is, is, he's got the more morality and he wants to now find Gloucester and he wants to help him out. And so so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop there. And uh, essentially uh, what I want you to do is, is make sure you go back over that and, uh, and read it. Read it for yourselves so that you uh, uh, can stay up with us. Now again, we're going to be finishing this, this play really pretty quickly. And so, so now's the time if you have comments or if you have questions... Uh, be sure to to let me know. And so, uh, again, um, uh, there is uh, some some positive things coming up, but I don't want to uh, uh, lead you astray that the end of the play is is uh, is actually uh, not very nice, and it, it's not like there's a big sun sun coming up in the sky. But there is some very interesting things at the end of the play that if you just are reading it and with, without someone that is, that's maybe spent some time with it, you won't, you won't pick it out. So, uh, so we will do that when we get into, uh, to the, towards the end of the play. All right, well, that's uh, about all the time I have for today's program. Now, next time, what I want to do is I want to focus on Lear in the Storm, and this will kind of uh, slip back to, to Act 3, and uh, there's some really interesting things going on there. And uh, you're, you're going to see that Ken is there with him. Gloucester was there with him. And uh, uh, then we're going to slip back into Act 4, and we'll bring on, uh, Cordelia back online. And again, she's one of the, the best daughters, and unfortunately she has the least lines in the play. And so, But uh, she and her husband are going to come back, and uh, they're going to, to really help uh, rescue King Lear. So please write me any comments that you may have, and that's to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, and that is Shakespeare's Royal Education. And uh, I wanted to uh, start beefing up that page a little bit more. And so I just want to thank you for joining me, and next time we will advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.